Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another session. I believe number 21 of the Creating Structure podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to have my guest, Thomas Cornelier of TSI Corporations. But before we have Thomas introduce himself, a quick word from our sponsor, the National Glass Association, about this wonderful show in person again in September, Glass Build. Glass Build America is back. Goodbye, virtual shows. Hello, real products, real people, and real business opportunities. The industry is reuniting at the largest glass, glazing, window, and door event in the Western Hemisphere for the buying and business building that only an in-person trade show can deliver. The leading commercial glazing contractors, glass fabricators, and residential fenestration manufacturers and installers are heading to Atlanta September 13th through the 15th for Glass Build America the Glass Window and Door Expo. Strengthen your supply chain and get the tools, products, and resources to future-proof your business. Your competition will be at GlassBuild. Will you? For more information and to register, visit GlassBuild.com. All right. Thank you for that. Welcome back, Thomas. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. John, appreciate the opportunity. Let us tell the TSI story. It's, it's going to be great, um, a great history there. Why don't you uh, tell us where you're from, who you are, what your background is, who you work for. Um, let's get into it. Yeah, good. Um, so Thomas Cornelier, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer with TSI Corporations. Um, I've been with the company about 12 years now. Um, I uh, Vic Cornelier is my father, who probably a lot of your listeners may or uh, hopefully know, may know. Um, I, he founded the business back in 1977, and um, uh, I've been, uh, I joined on after a short career in the financial sector, uh, which I started right after um, on uh, the investment side, financial planning side, right after college, and then jumped ship over here and uh, started in the financial side of the business and then moved up to uh, doing more of the, the strategy and, and, and that sort of thing, too. So. And where did you go to school? I am a uh, University of Delaware Blue Hen. There um, you go. I got uh, I got my finance uh, finance degree from uh, from UD um, Delaware for all of you, not UD uh, University of Dayton, but all the uh, University of Delaware for their East Coasters. Yes, and, sir. Um, the uh, and then when I joined up with TSI, uh, I went back and got my MBA at Loyola in Maryland. So um, one of the first things I did as I came over, which actually ended up being really fantastic timing because it was right as the great recession and the, the construction recession as that, as that we were right in the middle of that, that whole thing. I was, uh, I was also getting my um, going back to school and get my MBA as I was working in the company. And that, that proved working and going back to school, that proved to be one of the most beneficial time points of my, uh, of my professional career. Interesting. Why is that? You know, it, 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 you learn so many good topics. The MBA program at Loyola, it was very collaborative. It was very teamwork-based. So I ended up with the opportunity. And, and, and granted, when you're going back and you're, you're in the MBA program, you're working with all ages at this point. So we have a number of people that have, uh, have gone on, uh, you know, and have been doing great things for their companies, and then they've gone back to school for very similar reasons that I did. I basically had uh, a panel of about 40 advisors that were in my class. So I could wow. bring these real life problems that I was facing in the company, um, you know, and they could be cash flow problems. They could be strategy problems. They could be operational problems. 
And, and, you know, frankly, the, the, the people love to talk about it because they were either in that position, have emerged from that position, maybe facing the same position, but the teachers loved it too, because the whole point of the, the program is to try to give people as much real life experience as possible. Um, so we were able to use a lot of the challenges in the, that we were facing in, in these classroom sessions. That's a great program, a great approach. It sounds similar to Case Western Reserve's executive MBA program where, you know, it's nights and weekends for a certain amount of time. Kent State has one similar, but I know my brother-in-law went through the Case Western Reserve one. Very collaborative. Everything was done in a group. You had a core group of people and and uh, we could go on about that. But um, there's a couple of things. My, first, I have a question. So 12 years, that would have been just after 9-11, right? Early 2000s when you joined so it's 2009. Oh, I'm sorry. 2000. What am I thinking? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, everybody. It's been a long day. 2008, <laughs> nine. So that bubble, when that bubble burst. Yep. yep. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I, you made a statement to me uh, when we were warming up and just getting started that I loved. And I've heard the same statement from several other glass and subcontracting industry executives. Jeff Haber said something similar at WW. What did you say about your intention to work in the business when you got out of college? So uh, pretty much as soon as I, uh, as soon as I got my driver's license, I was, I started working in the shop. Actually, my very first job, I was working as a cart boy at a golf course, um, which, uh, if, for those of you who know Vic, he can be uh, he can be a little bit of uh, uh, temperamental at certain points. And he actually quit that job for me. Uh, he got so frustrated with, with one of the golf pros. But then he had to give me a job. So then I ended up going to work in the shop at TSI, me and a buddy. And, uh, and we loved it. We loved working with all the iron workers. We loved just the getting, getting dirty with our hands. And the guys, mm -hmm. they put a lot of trust into us. Uh, working in the shop, working out in the field. I mean, we were driving, you know, 18 foot steak bodies, manual steak bodies, going into DC when we were 16, uh, you know, barely learned how to drive. It was, I it love was, it. Oh, yeah, it was great. Then as I got into college, they moved me, we tried to sit in the office. So I got to, uh, you know, this internship program as the project manager. And I went around with these guys and all they did was get yelled at all day long. They're getting fights with GCs and, and all that stuff. And I said, there's no way. I am going to work at TSI <laughs> as part, unless I could go to the field. Then if I can go to the field, then I was going to, then it was going to be good. But as one another deal that, that Vic always had with us is that I, he got us also into investing really early. Investing caught my eye. Um, so we were, we were of, of the paychecks, you know, half of every paycheck was going into investing and we were, we, we learned that whole side and, and that really caught my eye. So not only did I want to go be a project manager at TSI, I did want to go, uh, I wanted to choose the financial path. And that's what got me into UD, uh, University of Delaware, and, and then the, uh, the finance background. That's really good. So you're saying your father started teaching you investment as, as kids, you and Pete oh, yeah. and your yeah, siblings? Like, then, yeah. Did he yeah. require a certain amount went into savings? Absolutely. Absolutely. We were set on a path. Which you know, I mean, when you're when you're 16 at that time, uh, you know, it, all, all you cared about was uh, CDs and PlayStation games. So it's not like you really had to spend a lot on uh, a lot right. of money. And so it was a uh, it was a much better use of money than going up to Best Buy every uh, every Saturday and blowing all my my paycheck. Yeah, not that Vic was very forceful or had any influence on you, right? 
Right. No, not forceful at all. <laughs> no, not for, <laughs> just a passive dad, right? Just passive, totally passive. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just want to say publicly to you and, and your brother and those listening, I have a ton of admiration and respect for Vic, your father. Yeah. Um, you know, there TSI was an early client of ours. And we haven't always worked together because of your guys' model and ours, but when we do work together, it's good. Um, again, like we talked, he's he's from that partly from that fraternity, that 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 fraternity that goes back to PPG and yeah. it, you know, in the supply chain, it goes back to Dow and it goes back to Conier and some other areas, but that PPG fraternity, just some outstanding business people, managers, constructors, operators. So, uh, and actually one of the best BEC presentations, I, I told Deborah, my office manager this earlier, one of the best BEC presentations I saw, I don't know how many years ago it was now, was, was Vic up there on stage in his suit doing a keynote. He never stood behind the podium. He paced back and forth the whole time with his clicker and it, it almost sounded extemporaneous and it was the best presentation of the day. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, he has, uh, we, we uh, you know, as well, and I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little bit, but we talk about different styles and, 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 and when we look at, at, at people managing and how we're setting up the structures of the businesses and stuff like that, style is a, style is a pretty big piece. Vic coming up when he came in, you know, so he moved and he started, when he started TSI, he also had two kids and also decided to buy a farm down in, uh, down in St. Mary's County. So he bought a 45 acre working farm. And I think he was about 35, 35-ish, mid-30. So what mid-30-year-old has two kids, decides to start a glazing business in D.C. and then also buys a working farm? So the only person that can do that is somebody that has as much perseverance and as much charisma as Vic has. And he, he built this company based off, of, uh, based off of those two things. I mean, his instinct in this construction market is, is, is off the charts. Yeah, he does have a lot of charisma in a good way. Charisma and perseverance, you're right. But... We certainly know if you're if you're running, you know what. Ultimately, everything starts as a startup. Forgive the redundancy, but if you're running a private business and now a generational business, mm -hmm. you have got to have tenacity and resilience, right? Not only to deal with the business side, but to deal with the familial side of things as well, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we've had. Um... You know, and there's and 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 my 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 brothers are you know Pete is uh, he's 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 our president. He's my oldest brother, and he's the uh, and he's running business development. And David is the uh, the third brother in the business. And David David was the uh, he's the mechanical guy. Um, he can build anything. He just has that that mind for it. Where um, Pete and I are not as mechanical. It's definitely a learned trade. It is a natural trade for David. Hmm. It, it's impressive to be around him. So tell us what a chief strategy officer at TSI does. What is, what is your focus? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Cause it kind of, it, it's a new position for us. Um, it, it, it covers a number of different categories of the business. So I, I came in, um, I came in with my financial background, uh, which was on the personal finance side into the corporate side. That was also one of the reasons I went back to grad school to get a little bit more of the corporate financial background and a little bit more background over just the overall operations of the business. Um, so as, as what I kept finding myself is as the financial pieces emerged and we'd uncover problems, um, we would then start to look at correcting the problems. And then 
that so the CFO started blending more into an operations standpoint. Um, I would do little stints where I would run projects to get familiar with projects, see what kind of problems that they were running. I would go in with Precon and I would I would spend some time with Precon, um, you know, get involved with some of the projects, see what kind of challenges that they had. Um, and then I was always interested in, and I think this is where some of the finance background is, you're always trying to look in the future and, and make sort of predictions on where different markets are going and things like that. So then I was also carrying that piece too. Well, when we, we, we as, as I've, over the past decade or so, as I've gotten more experience in all those, all those different roles sort of started melding together. And then we added the corporate side on top of it and, it, and we, we formed this chief strategy officer role. So it's, this, it's, it really is setting up the framework of the business, um, the systems that people use, how efficient we're running, where, what, what direction is the company going, um, what kind of cost structure do we have within our own organization, what our team setup look like, um, all that good stuff. So it's uh, kind of hands fingers in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different holes here. That's good to hear. It sounds like there's a lot of gap bridging and dot connecting between departments, between domains. Is that a fair statement? 100% fair. Everything is connected. We do not look at anything in a silo. Um, and so that is that is a big piece of uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. There is a lot of, of connectivity in there. Great. That's good. So, um, so you've talked about what that entails and what your focus is. Do you guys have, I got a thousand questions here, but do you guys have a particular why you're familiar with Simon Sinek, probably the, the why, like, um, do you have a particular why, a, a particular purpose behind instead of, well, we put up curtain walls? Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, over the years or, or really recently, we have, we've, we've kind of been focusing on that. Um, and we did a shift about two or three years ago, we had uh, we we were three divisions where we had an ornamental division that that uh, that fabricated and installed. Um, we had a metal panel division that we uh, we did the panel fabrication and we did the installation. Then we had our glass and glazing division, which we did not do fabrication other than uh, stick curtain wall, uh, maybe you know some punch windows at at, at 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 times, but mostly just a stick curtain wall. But it was mostly just a, a partnership in the installation on the uh, on the curtain wall side. Um, the, the company guide, I was, I was on your, uh, your Patrick, uh, where we're talking about, um, uh, you know, he brought up some, some pretty interesting points on, on operating a business. And we kind of got a little yeah. bit out of control on size, some that he mentioned when we got a little bit out of control on size, we of course also got out of control on, um, really what our core values were, what our direction is, what our long-term goals were. Um, and we're really who we were at, at the, the, the root of what, why did we exist? Um, and so we made a declaration a couple of years ago. We got rid of the fabrication. We kind of got back to basics. Um, and we, we set some really long-term, you know, the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goals. We, we, we created our own, our own BHAG around mountain to climb. Um, and we really started diving down into core values. And we, we kind of picked out, one thing that is our, our why is that the people that were really attractive in our business or attracted in our company were the people that are just, they, they, they like to build. They were excited about the industry. They were excited about building, kind of like that, uh, you know, every little kid, my, my, my daughter has it. She loves to build Legos. These people are just fanatics about building. They take on complex problems. 
they dive in, they take extreme ownership of these problems, they try to find a path, they, they like to work with the clients, they like to work with other, other subcontractors surrounding trades, they work with designers. And the, the people that as we went through this analysis and this sort of rebirth internally, we found out that the, that the people that we wanted on the team were the people that just absolutely love the construction. They love to take these, these complex challenges and figure out how to actually execute. That's great. So if I was, if I was picturing a little byline caption in my mind right now, it's not, not that this is it, but this is me, TSI yeah. corporations. We love to build. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Whether you're building Legos or connects or SDS rockets or curtain wall systems, you yeah, love exactly. to build. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So. That is really good that you took that a large group. So you had three divisions and, yep. and I know I worked with the ornamental metals division and TSI. Um, now you're back to your roots. So are you describing going back to your roots as being primarily or completely a contract glazer? Is that what your roots are? We are. We uh, now we will because we, we also didn't lose the skill set, um, especially from the erection standpoint. So we still have uh, we have a, we have about a 15,000 square foot shop now. We, we, we went down from 65,000 to about 15,000, but we retained some of our top talent. So we can still do a little bit of the metal panel work. We can still do steel work. Our field guys are, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're probably biased, but we think that they're some of the best in the business and they can build anything. We have great steel guys. We have guys that still have that ornamental, uh, ornamental, ornamental bug. So on the right projects, we will, we will still, in, uh, we will still entertain those scopes. Um, but it is from the install standpoint, not on the fabrication standpoint any longer. So. Yeah. You're servicing yourself. In other words. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And are you guys, um, in your, in your shop, so are you doing some of the boutique things like you're doing the custom storefront or this, this, you know, repurposing, putting the hardware in on doors and yeah. specific copings or panels like ornamental oh, yeah. things that you just not going to be able to sub out. Yeah. And we also wanted to, I mean, it's, you know, closing out a project is always, is always really difficult. And, you know, when we partner with, and, 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 and we, we found some great partners that we have, we have filled the void with, um, but we, especially coming from that business, we understand that they're also in the manufacturing business. So if we need eight, you know, composite coping panels to close out a job so our client can hit their our certificate of occupancy, we can't wait in line for three months to get those eight coping panels behind whatever yeah. other job it's running. So we, we, we wanted to maintain a little bit of flexibility for those emergency situations for that sort of thing to happen too. I like the comment about flexibility. Before I forget, I want to go back to the BHAG statement for those who are unaware, and we have a pretty educated audience, but I'll just restate it. That's from Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals, right? Yep, that's it. Sky's that's the it. limit. Let's, let's dream and let's say, where do we want to set the horizon out there? What do we want to shoot for, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we talk about it's our, it's our mountain. So it's the uh, the mountain to climb. So every day we get out of bed, we have a uh, we have a purpose to come to work. Yeah, yeah you know I like this analogy. Dan, Dan Sullivan, the uh, of strategic coach, the founder of strategic coach, he says that he finds there's two types of entrepreneurs in the world: those who are miserable and those who are happy. He says the ones who are miserable in general 
are always benchmarking and measuring their progress as it relates to the top of the mountain, as you say, or the horizon, as he says. Uh But you can't measure forward because you haven't gotten there yet. You have to measure progress backwards. And those who measure backwards and say, hey, I'm not to the top of the mountain yet, but I'm, I'm six feet further than I was yesterday. They're like, hey, I'm making progress. They're good. But those who are always just saying, oh, I'm still not at the horizon. They're unhappy because they, they don't have a sense of satisfaction. Yeah, uh, we, we, we talk, so continuous learning is one of our, um, our core values. We, we, we partnered that up. Uh, one of the other ones is extreme ownership, which is sort of an ode to Vic and, and some of the people that as we went through this shift in this, uh, this internal shift, they maintain that where they are, it's the people that just don't let anything get in their way. Um, we, we added the continuous learning piece to it because we also had a number of people that are um, coming from different departments. So just because we shut down our design group doesn't mean that some of those designers didn't actually become uh, project managers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we, we, we retain some top talent as people that fit these core values. But the continuous learning model that we always talk about is, is one, you always want to be moving forward. But the other part is, is are you just better than you were yesterday? Can mm-hmm. today's self be yesterday's self? And so having a little bit of that, that reflection standpoint to say, are we making progress? Um, and we've taken that same philosophy for um, a number of systems that we've implemented. You know, we, 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 we made the mistake probably as a lot of people have, is we've tried to implement certain things and it was just too big to bite off at that time. And so then we backtracked and we started small. And then we noticed that as you implement and you do small, continuous, incremental improvements, incremental improvements, that over time, those lead to very big gains. So we might be doing these small little steps on a week by week or month by month basis, but then we look back from two years and we've actually gone extremely far away further than we ever would have thought from the very beginning anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I, I buy wholeheartedly into, uh, into, your, into your comment. Now that makes a lot of sense. And I know the, uh, Patrick Lencioni in the one his book, he talks about thematic goals and that's a similar concept to thematic goal where you say, what is something game changing we can do this quarter and you don't do anything else. Or if you're following ESO, like entrepreneurial operating system, EOS, like you say, what's your rock, you know, and you, you work on that one thing. And as you say, like 10, 12, 16, 20 quarters downstream, you go, wow, we're, we're not even resembling what we were then. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was wild. Yep. Agreed. That's absolutely. That's good. That's really good. Um, so to the measure that you are comfortable or would, would care to share, I'm always interested in, uh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, you know, your glass and glazing business and DC and, and all that. I'll get into that, but I'd like to talk a little bit about generational private business, yep. meaning your father started this great corporation. Now you've got three brothers in a business. Can you talk to some of the challenges, some of the joys and some of the challenges of uh, the, that transition to the next generation, what that process looks like, how it feels? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it, it, it certainly isn't the easiest thing. And, 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 and John, one of our other core values is, is transparency. So I will, uh, I'll be as, as open, as honest as, uh, as I can be. The, um, uh, it, it, it is a challenge, especially with a, um, you know, because, because you want to live up to what Vic, Vic laid the groundwork, right? So he's, he will transition and he's still, he's still active in the business as the chairman of the board. 
and he keeps oversight and, and, and tabs on it and just makes sure that everybody's moving everybody's moving in the right direction. Um, but you, you, you know, we, we tend to want to emulate and, and do what he did. Now the organization isn't, uh, you know, he started it off of the, you know, his, his own blood, sweat and tears, and then grew this with a couple other people. And then he's, it's forced into the, into the, the businesses it is today. When he leaves that, leaves that off, you know, there's, there's a lot more, um, uh, a lot more structure. What, what, what he did to make the company successful does not mean that it's going to make the company successful today moving forward, especially mm-hmm. with generational changes. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, as, as we're trying to always hire, recruit, recruit, retain talent, things that are what, you know, may work today might not have worked or, or didn't work, uh, or, or I'm sorry, things that worked 10, 15 years ago may not work today. Um, and so there has been, um, it requires a lot of introspection. You got to look within yourself. Uh, people have to sort of put their egos aside and under, try to try to focus on, again, what is our goal? Where are we trying to steer the ship? Um, and it's tough. And so not only, you know, sometimes it is easier to do that when you don't have that family relationship, the family relationship because of all that familiarity, you know, it can be just like hanging out with your best friend. It can get, uh, it can get mm-hmm. a little, a little rocky at times to, to, to say the, say the least. Um, one of the biggest things that we did, and I've seen this work as well for, with a lot of other, um, uh, family businesses is we hired two outside board members. And so along with Vic as chairman of the board, we also have two, um, two outside board members. Um, and really what, what, that, what that really helps is keep the focus on the mission and it helps keep the accountability and, and really even the professionalism of the family business. So it takes, it takes it away from this, you know, where you might be talking shop at a, at a family cookout to you know, how are we actually operating this thing independently? As Vic said, there are no last names in the you know on on the back of anybody's shirt. So um, you know, we try to separate ourselves from that as, as, as best we can. I like that. Uh, I know having a board of advisors is of tremendous value. Are those are those board members? Um, they're outside advisors, like. Are they voting members of the board or are they just more like accountability holders? These guys are actually voting members of the board, uh, you know, so they can, they I can see. use managers if they want to, and they can remove managers if they want to. So that, they can't make change. Yep. That takes some real guts for a family private business. And when I say family business, you know, one time I was talking to Mark Silverberg, who's retired now with Technoforum. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's a family business. He was talking about, my partner in my business, I said, no, no, it's a private business. He just, yeah. you know, he's the sage. He looks at me, he goes, John, John, John. <laughs> Every private business is a family business. It's uh, not public money. It's private. It's a some family's money. It takes yeah. a lot of guts. I got to commend you for having a voting board members outside that can remove people from jobs. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it, it goes in, I mean, Everybody's heard the stats about how many businesses fail and that 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 uh, that transition from the sec you know first to second generation then and then especially the second to third. If you really want to look at the TSI legacy and that logo, what it what it means to people and the legacy behind that logo, um, you know there's there's no one individual that you can appease with that. So you got to set it up with a larger goal. We want to make sure these transitions happen, and you know TSI is still a vibrant, thriving company 50 years from now. Um, 
you know, whether family's in it or not at that point. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great way to look at it. You know, why would you not want to have a legacy carry yeah. on uh, yeah. beyond your lifetime, even uh, mm -hmm. for the benefit of those that follow you? That's really good. Uh, okay, let's shift a little bit. By the way, I want to, I just want to say hey to Brandon Duval. I know he's one of the listeners here. <laughs> one of the best project operators, senior project managers I know lives in my home state of Ohio here. So hi, Brandon. Uh, you think pretty highly of Brandon, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Brandon's one of our, uh, our three construction execs. Um, another, uh, two other gentlemen, Russ Brazier and Will Pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, those guys, they run, uh, they, they essentially run the operations. They are, they're heavy into all the projects. Um, and those guys, they are, you know, and, and they also help and we run a number of projects. We, we kind of look at thing, uh, the, the, their positions, especially as sort of, uh, they, they kind of have two different dials. They have the project-related dial, and then they have the, the corporate dial. My role is almost 100% corporate-focused. I'm, I'm working on the business. The projects I would look at working in the business, okay. those, you know, they shift back and forth. Their dials may turn depending on, on what we're doing, um, but all three of them have had a big impact on, uh, on both the, the, the corporate side of where we're going and helping implement some of these changes, as well as executing the projects. They're... Uh, there, we're, we're lucky to have those three. Uh, but yeah, Brandon's been a newer addition over the, uh, you know, two, three years ago or something like that. Time flies. But yeah, we, yeah. We, we're, we're very appreciative of having him on board. Yeah. Yeah. I interfaced with him when he was at Harmon and then at Benson. Yeah. And yep. so that's good stuff. I like that. So you're working on the business mostly. They're working in the business mostly, but there is a an intersection where they're feeding up and you're feeding down or across or whatever oh. it is. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's good to know. So I asked you, uh, what were some topics of interest to you, some hot points or some value propositions or whatever, and you indicated a few things about culture, leadership development. Let's talk about culture for a minute, about how um, corporate cultural and, and core values being important. Anything you want to expand on that about? Yeah, and it's... Uh, and and. Um... You know, it's, it, and, and you're reading every single business book, every business podcast, all that stuff. You know, people need a, you need a mission statement, you need a vision statement, you need to find out what your values are, all that stuff. It is, I mean, it's, it's hard. It is a, it's a, it's a big challenge for anybody that, that has really taken it seriously. I, you know, I, I think if there's anybody out there that, that it came to them immediately, um, they are very fortunate. It is not the easiest thing to do. I, uh, you know, especially you, you want to try to be all the best things to everybody and you can't, but we, we operate businesses, you have limited resources, you have to figure out how to align those resources to serve something, serve your goals. We, uh, the core values, I mean, even when we, when we started it, I mean, we, we had a list of probably 15 different values that, we, that, that you know, core values that, that we, we, we thought we had, or we wanted to have. We boiled it down to four. You can't you can't have fifteen. You got to have a, you know a handful of things that you really got to focus on. And it was it was tough. I mean, it really took a lot of debate. It took a lot of introspection. Um, it took a lot of communication. I mean, to figure out really what we had. When we did that, though, I can tell you, it made personnel decisions so much easier. When we went through the shift, we let uh, we let some 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 people, some longtime TSI team members go. Um, it was some of the hardest moments that we've had in our history, but mm -hmm. it was the right thing. Again, when we the, the company above the individual, 
the team above the individual. It, it having those core values made things much much simpler to do. You know, we we felt like those were the right things to do in our heart of hearts. Um, so getting that stuff done has been has been has been absolutely great. So we're always looking to you know it's it's, it's just a, a, a one of those things that because we have gone through, we're always looking at expanding our knowledge, hearing other stories, anything else that we can kind of apply to the company. So that that's a big one. The leadership piece ties into that extreme ownership. Um, we have built a built a company that's focused on. Um, you know, we, we want to give people the guidelines for success. We want to give them the tools for success, but we also want to give them the autonomy to take ownership in their projects, how they operate, those sorts of things. Um, so one of the things we did with this is we actually partnered with FMI and we created a, uh, a TSI leadership um, and what we actually call it, it's a construction professional development program. Um, and so we have this, we have, uh, we're running through a cross section of, it's, it's about 20 people at a time and it's, it's, it's office personnel, it's field personnel, it's people that are not related in the project, it's people that are project related, um, but it's, it's focusing on how can they be better leaders, how can they learn these skills. Um, and we are in year number one of that. We are two sessions in, it's four two-day sessions. And I can tell you already, it's made a it's made a huge impact. It's it's built connections within the industry, within our, our own company that that uh, that we never thought would happen. Um, it's gotten people to be critical thinkers. It's got them to think outside the box, um, and it's it's really put them in some uh, some good spots. It's it's really fun to see. So you're saying you have a physical construction professional development program, custom made to T for TSI for your people. Yep. And can you tell us what FMI stands for? Um, actually, I, I don't know. FM, it's just the, it's the uh, FMI, the, um, well, it, so the FMI is the industry consultant that we partnered with to okay. program. Got yeah. you. Got you. And uh, are you at liberty to tell us back on the culture and the core values? What are your four core values? Um, so we have extreme ownership. Um, and we picked extreme ownership because we had things like, um, you know, humility and as one of the original core values. But then we started thinking, well, extreme ownership, humility is kind of is kind of part of it, right? I mean, if if I'm going to 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 drive to an end goal with a project, and I'm not going to let anything stand in my way, I'm not going to let my ego stand in my way. And there's going to be times when I need to ask for help, check with resources. So we kind of figured there are certain things that roll up with that. Um, the uh, continuous learning was a big one. Mm -hmm. um, honesty and transparency was the third, and then uh, connections, connections to people, um, connections to the business, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, connection. I, I list, you know, one of your, um, uh, I believe, it, I believe it was, um, was it the also in the Patrick McClamey one where you're talking about how uh, how people for for health and longevity that that social connection is a uh, yeah is such a critical component. But we, yes. we feel the same way with our with our industry, with our people and and uh, and all of our clients. So that's what Vic built it on and it trickled down into our core values, too. So number four is is really a focus on relationships, connections okay. within the business, not just I work in the field. I don't care what happens in the office. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it sounds like if I heard you right, which I love this, you said you're in your professional development program, you're pairing 
people from different departments, different domains, different like in the group as they walk through. So they're learning stuff about each other and building some of a respect for each other's work, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, and, 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 and what's, what's great and really what the hope is, as, as this really comes up and we, we talked about these connections and, and when you look at, when you look at an effective team, you know, the, the teams rally around each other. So we could have a challenging project in our, in our backlog um, rather than people, you know, they, they, they could talk about, well, we might have an issue with this vendor or we have an issue with this person or that GC, that person, you know, they're, they're, they're always messing with us and they're keeping us from hitting our targets. We try to get the approach from, from building these internal connections and these internal relationships is, is help each other, rally around each other. If they have a problem, let's, let's, let's identify the problem, be honest with everybody that there's a problem and help each other. Um, and so what we get to see from this, this cross section of these, of everybody working together is we see these relationships being built. Um, you know, I was in a group and it was our, our shop manager, one of our APMs um, and myself. And we were doing one of these, uh, one of these projects where we had to build, we had to build a spaghetti water, water tower and had to hold a, <laughs> had to hold a, uh, a full, uh, you know, plastic water bottle upside down for 10 seconds or something like that. You know, and it was it was great, and we you had won. a section. I mean, I like like I said, Dave, my brother David, he's the one that can build stuff. I can't build anything, um, <laughs> but you know, I was part of the team, and they and you know, I was honest with myself. They rec I recognized that they were way better than I was, um, and uh, and so I sat there and I just peeled tape while they built this amazing structure, and we ended up winning. So I love it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, when I mentioned about social connections, I was referencing the book Blue Zones. Yeah which is a book about, it's a genealogy book about extreme longevity. A friend of ours, my wife and my uh, in Seattle area gave it to us. And I, as soon as I opened it up, I couldn't put it down, but the, I, I looked back at those seven blue zones and they were all quite different uh, with food and the antioxidants and the exercise mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the lifestyle. But the one thing they had in common, because I, I, I looked through it, is that they had deep, social interactions and deep social connections. And then I recently saw that list when I was interviewing Patrick, we talked about it. I, I think it was an 11, an 11 point list. And the top two in that list had to do with social connections, social interactions, social engagements. So yep. relation, Hey, relationships help us live longer. That's yeah. a good thing. Absolutely. <laughs> they can get messy at times. So we might think, no, that's not going to help me live longer, but it actually helps us live. It's better to have them than not out. I agree. Totally. Totally is. That's, that's fantastic. So you talked about culture, you talked about this leadership development, which is huge because everybody talks about training, but very few people put their money where their mouth is and actually do customized training. Now you talked about finding value and delivering on that value. I don't know if you meant that more generally or more specific, like how do you, or how do your peers at TSI, how, how do you as a company and how do you as individuals look for value? Is that on the the sales in at the pre-con is that it in the middle of job or is it in all areas? It, it, it really just doesn't stop. And it, and it, and it goes back to that connection piece is that everybody that you interface with, if you, if you come at it with the understanding that they have their own personal challenges that they're dealing with. Um, and this could be from the APM all the way up to a project executive. Uh, on, on, on any specific project. It could be the, it could be the engineer, the architect, whoever it might be. Um, 
It could be the owner. I mean, there, there's all kinds of different, there's people have, if, if you take the time and you put yourself in their shoes, you understand what their challenges are. You, 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 you talk to them, you ask them these questions and, and you tell them what they're going to do. How does it work with, with what, what you need us to do? And those are the sorts of things of the value, but then also coming behind where we just can't be all done. I mean, actions speak louder than words. Um, you you got to be able to deliver on that value. But step one is to actually try to connect with that person to a level where they, they do. They tell you what their challenges are. They tell you how you can help them. If, if you can if you can actually help them and help them make their, you know make their job easier for them, I mean, you're going to win. They're going to win clients for life. Boy, I. I... I don't think that can be stated well enough. Thank you for that. Yeah, if you really listen, people will communicate what it is they need. You yeah. can figure out, if you know your business well enough, you should be able to say, oh, here's the gap that we can deliver to. Here's the value that, the, here's the unique selling proposition on this job. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody can say we're, you know, we're, 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 we're better, we're faster, we're cheaper, um, you know. It, it, it looks great in the marketing stuff, but you know to really get down and get 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 uh, you know find, find that value out. It's it's and, and it's it's a challenge. You know some people don't always want to give that out, but you know yeah. that's our that's our end goal. That's good. So you talked about efficiency as well in lean construction. You're a, you know by education and experience, you're a financial guy. It sounds like you're trying to drive out a lot of. Uh, you're trying to optimize things and respect people while doing it. So have you implemented lean construction? Uh, like what have you done there to, what experiences can you share? We've done a few things. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we kind of took concepts and we, we it, talk about that. We're, you know, going back a few minutes, we were talking about the incremental improvement. Um, but we have, uh, we've developed a schedule management um uh, a schedule management process. And we wanted to get it into more of the schedule management because there's actually multiple tools that you can use within this. But we, we almost sort of backed into that, the, the lean, the last planner approach where you take a, uh, a milestone schedule, you phase out the milestone schedule so you organize different work packages efficiently. You boil that down into you know somewhere to two to four week look aheads. Um, and then you have your weekly work plans, which is supposed to be clear of uh, you know, you want to make sure you have all your material that the that the areas are ready in front of you, so that that the weekly work plan it can be executed. You're going to try to try to remove as many problems from that, or or, or thinking of it another way, only things that that will the only things that will make it into that weekly work plan are things that are ready to go. You have people, the areas are ready, and you have the material. Um, we have we've developed our own proprietary process of how we communicate that, and we 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 look at that and we review that within the team. Um, that's been kind of the, the, the really fun and interesting thing. Um, that was something that, uh, that one of our construction execs, Russ Frazier, that, that he, he started toying around with, with a specific software program, but then really built it. And then we've taken it from that point and we've really started to move this across the organization from, from uh, you know, started out as one project. Now, I believe we're almost on every single project that we, uh, that we have. We're running the same system. Yeah, boy, thanks for answering the question I didn't have to ask. I was going to say, you know, how did that how did that process manifest itself? Was it in a, you know, a custom Excel spreadsheet? Is it in a software package? So you're using a software package. Is it primarily schedule driven or does it have multiple layers within it in terms of how you set up these packages to execute? 
Yeah, it's it's very scheduled. So the the process is of course very schedule driven. Um, the software program we actually it's not schedule driven at all. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a it, it actually just had the structure that we were able to use that structure and work it back. You know, kind of work our process into that structure. One of the biggest things is um, it was very easy to adopt it in the field, and we found that user interface with, uh, you know, I, our IT group and, and some of our technical PMs that they can, they can really pick up any sort of program and they can just run with it. That, that's, that's all well and good, but the real, you know, the rubber meets the road when you go onto the field. And when we can have uh, all of our field staff where they just, they grab onto a program and they can pick it up and it's very user-friendly and we can then adopt it across the board that meant the, uh, you know, that was more important to us than, than almost anything else. So that, that user interface was key. Um, and, and we found a program that they loved. We were able to adapt it to, to what our overall philosophy was. Um, and so far it's taken off, uh, taken off pretty well. That sounds good. Let's talk about the field for a minute. Um, you, you're referencing the importance of that. Uh, are you, you guys use glazers and iron workers or one or the other? We're, we're all iron workers. All we're, iron workers. Yeah. Yep. They, uh, they pretty much dominate the, uh, the DC, uh, the DC area. Um, and, 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 and frankly, not, not saying that there's any, that, you know, that there's not good, uh, good, good glazers out there. Our staff is just, our, our field team is just, most of them have been with us for a really, really long time. And, and, and Vic's been heavy, heavy, you know, he's done a lot of great things with the iron workers. And, yeah. I'm aware of that. We're, uh, we're just more, you know, we're, we're, we're probably more biased to those guys. And are you working within the district of Columbia and outside as well? We are, we're, uh, so we, we just call it the DMV, but it's, it's basically the DC and Baltimore beltways. So we do yeah. North Virginia, DC, um, parts of Maryland up to Baltimore. Um, well, we, we scouted around to other areas. Uh, you talked about a value proposition earlier and how can we deliver value? Um, that is, that's always one thing where we're, 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 we're kind of exploring. Um, we will entertain going into a market if what we do is of any value. I mean, so, so we, you know, like a lot of the other, the, the DC glaciers that we compete with, you are very upfront in the, uh, the design process. Um, you're working with the GC, the architect, the consultants. Um, we, we go through the submittal and planning phase, you know, so we start in design and we go all the way through submittal planning into execution. Not every market values that or in, in, in our organization is set up to, to, to run in that, that format. So, um, right. we, 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 we've kind of just, it, it's hard not to look into North Carolinas with how hot they are. I'm not sure that, that, that what we offer is of any value down in North Carolina at this moment. Um, so we're not going to go into that market and then, you know, just get, get either either try to give them something and you know we're wasting time and energy trying to give them something that they, they really frankly don't care about um or you know they uh, we just get our clocks cleaned by people that are experts in that market so yeah right uh while we're on that topic of labor in dc area um how important is it to respect union labor and to have i don't want to use the word control but have under your management union labor in the district of Columbia area. So, um, are you talking about how, how, uh, uh, how important is, is having that on the jobs? Like how much do it, does the, does the construction market want the yeah. labor? Um, 
it's it's becoming more and more of a requirement. I and mean, multifamily, which is traditionally non-union in the area, mm-hmm. um, has has more or less stayed that way. Um, DC is an interesting market architecturally because you have your height restrictions in the in the district, right? And you have your your site size. So yep. the the architecture is getting more and more complex. The, mm-hmm. you, you, you have to take a very small footprint and you have to put your own stamp and signature on it, right? Um, that is requiring the skill set that the union iron workers have. Um, I see. They are very well trained. Um, they are trained in, um, you know, rigging, equipment use, you know, cranes. Uh, they, they are trained in the insulation, fabrication. Uh, they're training ornamental. They, uh, you know, they really have the skill set that that lends itself very, very well for where the DC architecture is going. So it's becoming more of a demand. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, it is an interesting market. I we talk about site size. Uh, one of the buildings uh, on my profile Instagram and in LinkedIn is a job we did with Pioneer called uh, GWU Health Services Building or GWU Public Sciences. It's it's in DC. And I remember I was walking with one of my colleagues several years ago and he's like, oh, that's our building. I, I mean, you, it couldn't have been shoehorned into a smaller <laughs> urban lot. You almost, I mean, and it is a very unique building, but unless you look up, you know, you don't get to see the landscape from the distance because you're literally, it's literally right up against the sidewalk, you know? Oh, that, that happened to me. I was driving through the district the other day and I almost gave myself whiplash because there's a uh, a project we did with Benson, um, uh, you know, seven eight years ago, and it had this. It, had a, it was really cool. It had this this fold running diagonally up the building, and uh, and it's. I mean, it's it's. It, we have pictures of it. It's been on. You know, it's a website. It's it's one of our favorite buildings that we have. Um, I, I've never seen it in D.C. before because it's tucked away in one of these spots. <laughs> I actually drove by the other day, and I I turned around so fast that I, I think I threw something out of my neck. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good story. So uh, before we move on to like some of the industry trends, like green building and stuff, I, I, I keep forgetting to ask you this question. So I'm going to ask it now. When you keep talking about extreme ownership, mm-hmm. is, is that a phrase you guys just were really in love with? Or does that also come out of Jaco Willink's book on extreme ownership? Have you read that book? I, I I have not actually read the book, um, but I've listened to a lot of Jocko and his his, uh, his, his podcast, all that stuff. Yeah, um, I, so it's it, it's a little bit more of a coincidence. It actually comes it 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 it, it really is. It, it's number one on our core values, and it and it probably mostly is because of Vic mm-hmm. um, and just that that perseverance that we're talking about. Uh, one of the things that that people have always said: if if you're stuck in the middle of the uh, the middle of the ocean um in a rowboat you know there's one person you wanted the boat rowing with you that's big and uh and and so wow. we, we we try to take some of that philosophy you know the the generational shifts um uh you know again similar to what um what patrick had at, at hok the trying to take some of that early um you know the the founding fathers almost mentality and try to keep people connected to what made that group successful um, it's, it's born more out of that. It's a little bit just coincidence that it, that it goes with, uh, with Jocko's, uh, Jocko's term. Hopefully it hasn't trademarked it and doesn't come after us. Well, maybe Vic actually invented it and Jocko yeah. was able to, 
to put it in a book. That's it. Yeah, he should have trademarked. Vic should have trademarked it. Yeah. But it sounds like a great legacy because if I'm hearing between the lines, you're saying extreme ownership means don't make any excuses, don't assign blame, look for yeah. ways to solve problems, be resilient there, get the job done, drive forward. Don't yeah. don't take names and take prisoners on the way. Collaborate, but but dog on it. Look in the mirror and get it done. Absolutely. And 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 something else that's new to us this year, and you know, hopefully I'm not sharing too much, but we've actually implemented a structured incentive plan again to put our money where our mouth is, um, because these are the people and we 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 pan selected this group that we feel uh, already maintains those traits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we really think that we have a great team and, and you know, we want to just align our, our, our incentive compensation plan with, with what our overall long-term goals are and what's important to us as an organization. Sounds like a recipe for success. Let's talk. I was interested that you talked about, you mentioned green building. Um, you want to elaborate a little bit like you see it in the direction of the industry trends? Yeah. Um, what what type of green building? What's your what's your view of green building? How is that manifested in your region? So, and, and especially DC. Um, but we uh, and and a little bit of this is you know we we've kind of taken our lumps through our experience, but um, renovation work, reskinning buildings, repurposing buildings, you know the the adaptive reuse market. That's that's something that that we 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 actually i think a lot of people will may tend to shy away from those we actually run towards uh reskin and adaptive reuse type of projects um we have we have a mindset we have the uh we have a program that we have implemented that helps us that helps us deal with a lot of those unknowns that come with that type of building um it, it frankly is is one of those things going back to our roots of we are builders we do have a lot of builders on our staff that have done um, that have done a lot of this type of work, and they are experts in dealing with uh, with that with that marketplace. That, of course, is a big marketplace because if you're not pouring new concrete structures or building new steel, which we know is one of the heaviest carbon emitters out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you can get the, the energy performance, the thermal performance through uh, improved glazing in those sorts of in, in the curb wall systems. Um, we, you know, we're, we're running full steam into that market, not trying to shy away from that market. Got you. And we know DC is a, a, a concrete heavy market because of the height restrictions and the yeah. ability to optimize floor space and, and keep everything shorter than the monument. Right. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. um, I was explaining that to one of our new engineers who's just been doing an outstanding job. And, uh, I was telling him watch out for post-tensioning, watch out for concrete issues in DC. Um, We we can't, we can't predict in advance as engineers, what embed or what anchor is going to interfere with a PT cables fitting. And so you can get into, I've literally gotten into bay by bay, column by column area, field fixes because of just the slack of coordination. So it can be a big problem at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you go into it with the same mentality you do with the new, with new construction, um, the chances are you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to get your lunch eaten. Yeah, no doubt. When you talked about construction technology, improved workmanship, improved communication, improved data, you said the challenge is a coordinated software stack. Does this, does this proprietary program you've developed speak to that or, or is there some other problem like you're talking about? Cause some of the other 
uh, glazers listening or other trade contracts listening to this may be able to benefit from some wisdom there on the coordinated software stack. What do you mean? It, it, it's it's hard. So we have, um, and we we actually through, and, and this was one of the the, the 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 pros of what COVID forced us to do. And we recently, as, as the the organization went from everybody coming into one one spot, and now is being managed outside or you know in, in more remote locations. Um, we've we've now gone to the cloud. Um, we implemented a new ERP system. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's there's all these. There's all these uh, software programs that fill a need. The challenge that we have is then getting how do all of these these needs work together? You know, it, all, all come together so they can actually be an effective, you know, all be effective to 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 an individual or a team. The last thing we do is we, where we want is to have a project manager, an APM, um, an exec, a superintendent, general foreman, crew leaders, anybody have to, having to manage things manage all of their their programs by going to four or five different applications. It just can't happen. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that's going to happen is that none of them are going to get used. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're looking at our, when we're analyzing the software that, we're, that we have and, and, and like this proprietary system, we're trying to dump as much into that system as possible that we can. So even if it's not ideal, if it's serviceable enough, it's likely we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll still pick a system, we'll still pick that system because then they have one place to go they're already used to the forms, used to the setup, um, you know, and, and, and what we've seen is that the, the, the usage rate has gone through the roof. Uh, That's good. We'll track on the background, how many people, how many, how many issues are being added, how many daily field reports are being run, how many, how many uh, field not compliance reports are being generated. And so we're, we're seeing all those analytics on the back end and dumping that stuff in and just having people go to one place versus go to three or four different areas has, has, has made a world of difference. Are you actually using electronic devices in the field, iPads or yeah. whatever? Yep, yep. And that's been helpful with going to this new cloud-based ERP because not only were we in there uh, in the field um, or, or people can't just pull up drawings and do these, these other sort of field-generated uh, generated, um, uh, activities, they can also build, now they, can, they have the ability on their cell phone or tablet or, or laptop to pull up submittals, RFIs. Uh, contract drawing, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So um, we've gotten way more effective on uh, information sharing. You know, uh, we, we kind of talked about communication a little bit, but uh, it, it, communication can be verbal or nonverbal. Um, and we can communicate and keep everybody very aware without ever, ever having to exchange a word um, nowadays. And we can be in multiple different locations and everybody can be on the same page. Yeah, that's, that's nice. You know, when I think about that, uh, one of the things that benefits us as uh, structural on the structural engineering side of our business, even the consulting side, but when we're having to do field fix engineering, uh, we'll see at times a sophisticated client like you guys, the iron worker glazers taking a picture with this electronic device in the field with a tape measure on it. They're doing it in plan and section. They're pulling up a, uh, a PDF of the drawing and they're emailing it directly from the field or forwarding it to their PM or project exec. And it gets to us and it cuts down the time to do. Th- I mean, sometimes we can go, yeah, that works. I, I can't complete the calc today, but I can tell you that's going to work, you know? And, and other times we can say, you got a problem you need to stop right now, but having the electronic real-time capability with your design professional support, that's a big benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
um, we've uh, we we had one project recently where there was probably about thirty percent of the uh, um, of the embed for all, and so we had three different anchor fixes for that. Um, we were able to go into this program, uh, develop develop a quick checklist of things that needed to be done um, on each one, uh, take pictures, assign notes, tag drawings, and generate a report. Um, if this wasn't done without some of the software help, you know, where we can really leverage the software. I mean, the, the amount of hours that we would have spent just generating a report, it, 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 you know, on, on the, uh, in, in contrast, we're able to send this report out to the, to the consultant, the curtain wall supplier, the GC, um, and the architect, and we could do it on a daily basis, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, weekly basis, whatever they wanted. We, we mm-hmm. could generate this report. That. So yeah, something like that's fantastic. That's really good. So let's bookmark that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Thomas Cornelia, the human being, not just the worker at TSI, because believe it or not, like this hour has gone as fast as any hour I've done because you got a lot of energy. And, and I, I think I could go two hours here and, and still be producing content. But what do you like to do? Or do you have any hobbies or recreation? I know I have a private business, generational business you know, brothers in a business, tremendous amount of work. You never really leave it. It's a lifestyle, but do you do anything for recreation or hobby? What do you like to do for fun? Yeah. The, uh, uh, good question. Um, I also have two kids in the mix too. So that's, uh, yeah. So there's not a lot of free time. Um, I, uh, actually tonight is a, uh, so, you know, everybody, although I, 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 Vic and I are also very different personality wise. Um, having a little bit of that tenacity is important. So I'm actually playing. I, so I still play, uh, I still play lacrosse. Um, okay. had an indoor soccer team here at TSI for a while until the guy that ran it had his second child and he was able to manage it, but finding something to get those, uh, that competitive juices going and have that outlet is big. So I, uh, I, I, I still play a lot of sports. Um, I, uh, I run, I like to run. I used to hate running. I actually, what, what, what ended up, getting me into running is actually listening to podcasts. Some of my, uh, I only get the chance really on weekends, but throwing headphones on and going for a, uh, a multi-mile run, uh, you get those endorphins, you get that education, you get this perspective. Some of my best ideas come on the, uh, come on the Saturday, Sunday runs. I'll bet uh, they do. You no, know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I try to read every once in a while, whenever I can, you know, again, that's fleeting with the, the kids and everything. It is tough, isn't it? I, I, I was an avid reader. Um, I am an avid reader as much as the schedule allows. Um, yeah. Anything that kind of, again, as perspective, it's, it's good for my mind. It's good for, you know, I, 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 health is really important to me because you need to have the energy level to, you know, to, to, to run the business or, or work within the business, um, take that same energy level and that same passion home to the family, um, still go after all the hobbies. You know, my wife, the, uh, she's from a beach town in Delaware. So we go down to the beach all the time and, see your family do all that stuff so down by Rehoboth try to create balance is that by Rehoboth uh just north it's a little sleepy town Lewis Delaware it's where uh the uh the the, uh you know for any of the the beer drinkers out there where um the uh, the founder of Dogfish Head Beer is uh, is from my son-in-law is a big Dogfish Head fan in fact my daughter for one of their anniversaries or his birthday I can't remember which they'll correct me when they listen to this um she took him there for a couple of days for an overnight because yeah. he wanted to go and they did a tour and they sampled all the beers. That sounds great. Did, did you play lacrosse in college? 
I I did um, I got hurt my freshman year tore mm-hmm. uh, tore a hamstring, uh. um, and then so the the so the the, the last three years I ended up just playing club. Um, I, I can tell you though it's a uh, for me personally, and this is not a uh, by, by all means this is this is one hundred percent just me. It's probably one of the best decisions I had. Uh, I had some friends that continued to, to to play throughout college, and you know they they hated playing afterwards. And I met some of my best friends. We just had a blast playing club. We were very competitive and. It was a, it was a good way to keep that uh, the athletic juices flowing and then some balance uh, with working the college life. Well, the stakes are a little lower. I I understand exactly the D one or D two NCAA yep. athletics. Whether you're a scholarship athlete or a walk on, it is yep. a tremendous commitment and it's all about performance. You know, it's so much pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Do you have any? Do you have any in, in the midst of your busy life as a as an executive, as a, a husband, as a as a father, brother, etc. Do you have any daily routines or mindsets? It, it, anything that you do, or is your routine that you don't like routine, or is your routine that you stay in a routine? Like, is there anything you do that helps keep you grounded or focused or energized? Oh, so kind of. Um, there are certain things that I like to do. They're not necessarily on like a structured time basis, but certain things I like to do every day that, that help kind of keep the energy levels high. So, um, uh, like I said, I, I running with podcasts on, I still also, I, li- I almost stopped listening to the radio in the car. It's almost 100% podcast. Yeah. Um, I like to listen to music while I work, but podcasts really in those, those downtimes because it's, it's, it's the ideas that are going, that, that, that kind of come through that, the information sharing. And then really just being out amongst our group. Um, I draw, even though I'm, I'm, I think I'm technically tested an introvert, I draw a lot of um, inspiration and motivation from being around people myself. So dealing with, uh, I, I mentioned those three execs, uh, talking to the PMs. I love when I can to get out to the field. Um, mm-hmm. Really gets connected, gets me connected to the business. Um, I get a lot of ideas. I get to see how they operate. So it's, 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 uh, there are certain daily routines that I have as far as, you know, just, just health diet, things that way, how I'll set up my day, you know, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. But really it's, it's, it's trying to just make time and make sure I'm focusing on those things that, that give me a lot of inspiration and motivation. Yeah, that's great to hear. Energy positive is a good thing. Well, you've got a lot of energy and, uh, it's been great talking to you. Um, this hour always goes so fast. I yeah. know you and I have never met face to face. And this is the first time we've actually interfaced on virtual meeting. People might be surprised at that, but I feel like we uh, have a lot in common. Do you have any, uh, anything else you'd like to say to the audience or about TSI before we adjourn and sign off for the day? Um, one thing I would like to say, you, uh, Max, um, you know, the, the guys that have, uh, you know, you guys that have, have, have started speaking of podcasts that what you've done to get our, you know, kind of probably small industry that's out there and get the, uh, and really be advocates and getting people um, exposure, you know, uh, people from different parts of the country exposure on a national basis. Um, the information that you've got out there to share. I think you guys are just doing an awesome service to, to our industry. I mean, I know myself, people like, like Brandon, everybody else that, that, uh, that listens to the podcast. I know that they're, uh, they got to be very grateful to have people like, uh, like you, Max, and everybody else that, uh, 
that's doing all these awesome things for uh, for our for our little niche group in the uh, the glass glazing industry. So thank you. That's the only other thing I had to say. Well, thank you. That's that's really uh, gracious of you. I appreciate that. I, I get the most interesting feedback too. It's similar to it a Twitter or an Instagram stream, you know, I'll go to an event, which hasn't happened for a long time because of COVID, um, probably start more of it. And I'll get somebody to come up to me and go, oh, I love your podcast. Or, hey, I love that thing you said. I'm like, I've never even seen him interface. Oh, I don't talk about it. I don't click like. <clears throat> so thank you for that. It's been fun. I've learned a lot, actually. I always go away energized. We're getting great feedback um, and uh, increased listening as we go. So thank you. Um, so he's Thomas Cornelier, the chief strategy officer with TSI. Thomas, one of the things that is uh, special in my mind about him is he's visible on social media. You're on LinkedIn. You are uh, on LinkedIn individually and through TSI. You have an Instagram profile as well, um, Twitter profile as well. Well done. Um, so people can can see you there. Uh, they can certainly reach out to you through the website. I'll put your information and TSI's information all in the show notes. All, all those links will be there as well as mine. Um, people can reference past uh, podcasts, which also cover architecture and interior design and business strategy and innovation. <clears throat> um, by the way, uh, just as a quick aside, the next podcast that we'll actually be posting before this one is with Mark Zwieg, who's a famous consultant in the architecture, engineering, construction business, then, then you're up and then we'll have some other good ones downstream. But Thomas, this has been tremendous. I love your energy. I, I love your insight. I thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show. Yeah, uh, tons of fun. And I uh, really appreciate the opportunity, John. You're welcome. So we are going to sign off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time.